Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello everyone, thank you for joining me around the fireside tonight. My name is Joe, and I'm here to tell you a story. A story about a diligent, intelligent police inspector and his two understudies. A story about a tragedy and its cause. A story about human psychology and little, tiny details. Proudly presenting a Tale of Habits and Rituals by Colin W. Currell, a talented author and Fireside Community member who writes for the passion of it. Thank you, Colin. I appreciate you letting me read this endearing short story. If you do enjoy this, please let me know by leaving a rating or review and subscribing to Tales by the Fireside. Every interaction truly does mean the world to this channel. Now please... Get comfortable, let go of the daylight, and join me for our story. A Tale of Habits and Rituals by C. W. Currell Welcome to Bristol Nick, C. Division. I am Detective Constable Tompkins, and you are? Tompkins said as he held out his open hand in the time-honoured way of greeting someone for the first time. Policewoman Constable Dawn Evans, Evans said as she tentatively extended her hand to touch Tompkins' hand as if Tompkins' hand were diseased. She quickly drew it back. So, local girl then, from Bristol City, my lovely, said Tompkins. Evans turned her back to Tompkins to hang up her top coat, so did not see Tompkins illustrate the question by way of making the sign of two upturned cup hands. Unfortunately, Evans turned and caught Tompkins in the now politically incorrect act. Any more stunts like that, DC Tompkins, and I'll report you. And I'm from Pembroke, South Wales. No offence, meant It's just a joke, like. Anyway, is that county, town or a dock, then? Pembroke Dock, actually, if you must know. Ah, right then. I now know where you're coming from, said Tompkins as he picked up his mobile and said, Char. Char, the mobile echoed back, 
and it instantly dialed the home of his boss, Detective Inspector Charles Harold Andrew Ridley. Good morning, said Tompkins, looking out of the window. His back to the office door, so he didn't see D.I. Ridley enter the office. Is Inspector Ridley there, please? he asked of his mobile. He's here. Who wants him? Ridley said as he hung up his coat. Tompkins swivelled round the instant he heard his boss's voice. It's okay, I found him, thank you, bye, he terminated his call. Who were you speaking to, said the inspector, as he made his way quicker than usual to his desk, fearing he already knew who. Well, I've got this new mobile, and I thought I'd try it out. So I rang... Your own, Gov. You did what? After all I said about... The phone on the inspector's desk rang. Saved by the proverbial, mouthed Tompkins to Evans, who was still standing by the coat stand. Yes, dear. No, dear. No, no, I'm all right, dear. Yes, it was my assistant Tompkins asking after me. Yes, it's nice to have such a thoughtful assistant, said Ridley, trying to calm the caller, Mrs Ridley. To say that Mrs Ridley was overprotective of her husband was the understatement of the century, and the reason Ridley had repeatedly refused a police-issue mobile phone. Ridley replaced the receiver, shook his head, and sank back into his recycled, executive high-back leather chair. Not standard issue at Ridley's level, but one he rescued from a skip when the DCI's office was refurbished, much to the chagrin of Detective Chief Inspector Willis, Ridley's boss. Ah, boss, this is WPC Dawn Evans. She's joining us, I think, said Tompkins, in a desperate attempt to move the conversation on. Ridley laid back in his chair and stared at the ceiling. What do you mean, Tompkins, you think she's come to join us? You know, for someone who wants to make a career as a detective, you demonstrate an alarming lack of skill in the departments of investigation and interrogation, said Ridley. No worries, boss, leave it to me said Tompkins, eager to quiz the new bar, new recruit. Oh, but I do worry about you, Tompkins. Right, miss, come, take a seat at my desk and let's start with your name, said the inspector, as he eased himself upright. W.P.C. Dawn Evans, sir, and it's Ms. Sir. Tompkins, fetch us a cuppa, my usual three sugars, please. Not for me, sir, just a cup of hot water. I have my own herbal tea bags, thank you said Evans. Who's for a sausage butty? Who's in loads of red and brown sauce? asked Tompkins. No, thank you, and I'll hazard a guess that it's vegetarian butties for WPC Evans, and to my recollection they're not, as of 4.30 yesterday, on the canteen menu yet. So cut along, Tompkins, and you can eat your sausage butty in the canteen, said the inspector, who obviously wanted a private chat with WPC Evans. Excuse me, sir, if it's a formal interview, I have the right for a female officer to be present, said Evans. Quite right, Evans. And if this was a formal interview, I too would have the right to the presence of a representative of my choice, male or female, and a stenographer to record our every word, cough and fart. No, WPC Evans, this is informal for both our sakes, said Ridley. Evans stifled a giggle. Ah, a sense of humour. I did wonder after reading your file... That was when I was asked, and I do mean asked, not told, if I would have you on my team. All traces of humour drained from W.P.C. Evans' face. I know where you come from, in a manner of speaking, so I thought, 
let's have this little chat off the record so you know where I'm coming from, said Ridley. Ridley pulled himself forward in his chair and leant on his desk. Evans, I love my wife. I love my daughter and I show that love in what some people might say are affectionate and charming ways, whereas others see it as not politically correct. Familiar with that phrase, are you WPC Evans? Yes, sir, I should like to say, Evans started, but Ridley interrupted. I expect you would, but I haven't finished yet. If I put my hand on your shoulder or your arm, it's a sign of friendship or caring. And if I call you ducks or deer occasionally, again, it's a sign of friendship and caring. As for calling you my lovely, get used to it. Because here in the West Country, tis part of the English language, my lovely. Am I making myself clear, WPC Evans? Yes, sir. Good. Because I wouldn't want you thinking that all senior police officers are the same and that all senior police officers are out there to sexually harass their subordinate female officers. You'll have no need to cry harassment, wolf, or anything else whilst you're under my wing. Have I made myself doubly clear, WPC Evans? The inspector then extended his hand. Yes, sir, as Crystal, said Evans as she shook Ridley's hand. Good. Welcome to Bristol. May your stay be prosperous. Any problems you have, work or home, come and talk to me. Now, go and see where that Tompkins has got to while I make a call or two, and then we'll do the paperwork as it's Friday and call it a day. My weekend off too, so I'm looking for an early getaway today, said Ridley. Five minutes later, Tompkins and Evans returned from the canteen. Tompkins gently placed the mug of tea in its allotted space on the inspector's desk. There you go, Gov. I've shown it the milk and infused it with four sugars, just how you like it, said Tompkins. No sugar, son. Only saccharin, says Mrs Ridley. Ridley winced. Good for you, sir. It's never too late to change, said Evans. Chapter 2 Young Gemma hopped and skipped the short distance from her home at number 49 Stafford Road, Bath, to number 83, the home of her widowed grandfather. It was Saturday and her seventh birthday, her first birthday to fall on a non-school day. Previous birthdays had begun with Gemma's mother reading through the cards whilst manoeuvring Gemma's father and her two brothers through the morning ritual of bathroom and breakfast. Present opening had always to wait until school was over and the family were all together in the early evening. But this Saturday birthday was different and special. No school for Gemma and her brothers, no work for her father and a leisurely start to the day for her mother. The stone floor of the vast basement kitchen was strewn with coloured boxes. Gemma tore at the delicate silk bows and the beautifully wrapped gifts as her mother dutifully opened the cards and read the messages to the ether. Gemma tugged her nightdress off and then serenely stepped into her new pink dress. Next came the shiny new red shoes with silver buckles. Then she began to twirl round the large oak kitchen table. Mummy, mummy, can I be excused my morning bath and breakfast so that I can go and show Grandad my new dress and shoes? Oh, please, mummy, please. Please, Gemma begged. Her mother didn't answer, but instead looked first at her husband, then to her two sons. All three had smiles on their faces. The brothers goaded their mother to excuse Gemma, as it was, after all, her birthday. Even Gemma's father added, just this once. Very well, young lady, just this once. We will hold breakfast until you come back, and the bath will have to be taken before your party this afternoon. 
Off you go. Remember your brothers will be watching. Boys, watch your sister from the window, ordered Gemma's mother. Having promised not to be gone too long, Gemma set off skipping and hopping on the short trip from number 49 to number 83, whilst her brothers dutifully watched her from the sitting room window. I thought your father would have joined us for breakfast as it's his favourite granddaughter's birthday, said Gemma's father. No, uh, he's uh, not feeling too special at the moment, darling. Later, perhaps, for the birthday tea, if he's up to it. We'll see. Gemma saw her grandfather sitting in his usual place by the window as she reached for the latch on the wooden gate. She waved one hand at first, then, letting go of the gate, she waved both hands at the same time, causing the gate to swing back unchecked towards the old stone garden wall. Gemma's grandfather didn't acknowledge her waves, but her mother had said his eyes were worsening. The gate continued the swing back, decapitating a length of the spring daffodils that flanked the gravel path which led to the steps and the towering Georgian panelled front door. Bang! went the gate against the wall. Gemma spun round to see what damage she might have caused. Her grandfather's usual reaction to this occasional show of exuberance by Gemma was to stand up, scowl and shake his fist, then give her a beaming smile. Gemma spun back to look at her grandfather. No scowl, no waving fist, he wasn't even standing. Gemma had decided to walk slowly up the path, stop and twirl right round, then dance to the steps and blow a kiss to her grandfather, just like the lady she had seen on the television, gliding slowly along a narrow ledge as they smiled down at the cameras, frantically flashing below. Then, up the steps to the huge front door, she stretched her hand to rattle the letterbox lap a usual entry sign on solo visits. The door was not locked and it gently opened on Gemma's first stab at the letterbox. She went with the door as it slinked back into the shadows of the oak-panelled hall. Grandfather, grandfather, it's my birthday. I'm seven today and I haven't washed yet, Gemma shrieked as she regained her balance. Her new leather-bottomed red shoes clacked across the polished wood-tiled hall floor up to the double doors of the library. She gave the brass handles a gentle push. The twin oak doors swung slowly, obediently open, leaving Gemma lit by the sun's early morning rays as she stood framed in the doorway. Grandfather, look at my new pink dress and red shoes Mummy and Daddy gave me for my birthday. Look, look, Grandfather. Her grandfather didn't look. Gemma walked across the Persian carpet, her new leather-soled shoes unable to grip, and then, as she reached the table by her grandfather's chair, her right shoe gripped as if it were glued to the carpet. Gemma looked down and saw a discoloured patch. She knelt and felt the pile. It was soaked. Her eyes were drawn to the pie-crust table next to her grandfather's high Windsor-backed chair. Gemma sidled round to face her grandfather and began to relay the list of birthday presents and cards she had received. A teacup was on its side. The square-cut glass whiskey decanter was also laid on its side, the level now below the open neck. A brown bottle, topless, with its white sweetie-like contents strewn over the table, was also on its side. Gemma was, by now, chattering at flat-out Gemma speed, which usually made her grandfather plead for her to slow down. But he made no plea this time. Gemma stopped recalling the list of presents. Silence filled the air and her grandfather remained stoic. 
Exasperated Gemma gripped her grandfather's right shirt sleeve and shook it hard. The cufflink was undone and his arm wobbled and fell from its place of rest. The weight of the arm wrenched the sleeve from Gemma's fingers. The sun's rays struck the silver buckles in Gemma's red shoes and ricocheted up into her grandfather's eyes to reveal a fixed glaze. Where's my birthday card, Grandfather? Where's my present, please? Are we going to have some tea and biscuits as usual? I know I'm early this Saturday and Mummy's not with me. Shall I go and fetch her, Grandfather? Her grandfather remained silent. Right, I'm going to fetch Mummy to make our tea. That said, Gemma raced back to number 43. Chapter 3 Nobody in their right mind looks a gift horse in the mouth, and Inspector Ridley was no exception. But the solicitor's letter addressed to his wife, asking her to contact them, where you will learn news to your benefit, had made him more than a little suspicious. That was because he had spent his working life sparring with the good, the bad, and the darn right despicable solicitors throughout the counties of Avon and Somerset. Mrs Ridley's visit to the solicitors was on her own, as her police inspector husband did not want to be seen visiting this solicitor on anything other than official police business. The gift horse came in the guise of a house in Bathwick Hill, Bath. This road led out of the city on the south side and up the hill to the university. Its three and four storey Georgian homes were testament to their owners having made it, and so the Ridleys made it to Bath. Ridley eased the paint lid open, stirred the contents, loaded the brush and steered it towards the window frame. Suddenly, the trumpets at the beginning of William Tell Overture shattered his concentration. Ah, mobile phones, said the shaken Ridley. The mobile and its ear-piercing ring were the choice and gift of Mrs Ridley, his wife of 32 years, on their move to Bathwick Hill. Yes, Tompkins, it was his youthful and ever-eager-to-please assistant Tompkins. Right, as it's females involved, bring WPC Evans. She's done the courses, now's her chance at the practical. But don't let her in till I had a little chat with her outside. On arriving at number 83 Stafford Road, Ridley was briefed by the first officer on the scene. He then took Evans by the arm, not very PC but very Ridley, to one side and briefed her on what to expect on seeing a corpse. The inspector's quiet tones made it more like a fatherly chat. What a birthday surprise for the child, Ridley rhetorically asked. I bet the little girl was scared stiff when she found her poor old grandad dead, hey gov, said Tompkins. No son, I doubt if she's discovered many dead bodies in her short life, said Ridley. What, you mean she weren't frightened or weren't upset at all, gov? That's right, Tompkins. Little Gemma came to visit her grandad on Saturday morning as usual. Only this Saturday was special. It was her birthday. So she came, on her own, earlier than normal. She was expecting her grandad to wish her happy birthday, but he didn't. She was expecting to be given her presents, but she wasn't. She didn't even get a card. She got nothing. Ridley stopped and took a deep breath. Now that's three of her expectations unfulfilled. So why did she go back to get her mother? Why didn't she start looking for the presents and card herself, Gov? pursued Tompkins. That's it, son. Keep them questions coming, but do stop for a breather now and again so I can answer them for you. Tompkins took the hint and obediently took a few deep breaths. Because, Tompkins, seven-year-old little girls with fixed expectations on their minds don't like to be disappointed. So, you two, I submit, 
Little Gemma's fourth and regular Saturday expectation. A cup of tea and biscuits, said the inspector as he walked into the hall. Tea and biscuits, sir? What, like tea and sympathy, said Evans. No, Evans, tea and sympathy will come later. The inspector stopped abruptly and turned to his young two assistants. No, you see what Gemma had every Saturday morning was a cup of tea and as many biscuits as she could eat with her dear old granddad whilst her mum did a bit of housekeeping. It was a sheer treat, a ritual, you might say, and her mother's role on the Saturday morning visit, Evans, was to make the tea, bring in the tray, then leave Gemma and her granddad to chat away in the library. So, not wishing to be disappointed a fourth time, Gemma went back to fetch her mother to make the tea. No, Tompkins, little Gemma wasn't scared stiff, just disappointed, thank the Lord. Come on, you two, let's get started, said Ridley, as he led Evans and Tompkins. I know you know, but I'll say it again. Don't touch anything. SOCO's on the way. Search with your eyes and get your mind working on what you see, said Ridley. All three scanned the scene before them. The truth was there waiting to be unearthed. After 20 minutes, Ridley posted Evans by the bookshelves and Tompkins at the library door so they could watch, listen and learn. OK, we're all set. Tompkins, wheel in our first interviewee, please, who, I think, if I'm not mistaken, is Gemma's mother. Tompkins, about turned, marched dutifully back into the hall and asked Gemma's mother to enter the library. Right then, Gemma's mum, come and sit down here. Tompkins, organise Gemma's mum a nice cup of tea, Ridley asked Tompkins. No sugar, thank you, said Gemma's mother in an authoritative tone. Sorry, Gemma's mum, it's compulsory when you've had a shock, Ridley retorted. I'm okay, Superintendent. Without sugar is fine, and would you please call me Mrs Granger? Just as you say, Mrs Granger. Tompkins, no sugar, and be quick. And you, Mrs Granger, you must call me Inspector. Don't want to upset my governor, the Superintendent, do we? Tompkins left the library, repeating to himself, Three sugars for me, no sugar for the lady or Evans, and a saccharine for char. Ugh! Ridley picked up the shield back carver chair and placed it facing Mrs Granger, leaving a respectful yet slightly intimidating three-foot distance between their respective feet. He commented on the grandness of the house, the well-kept garden and the beautiful antique furniture. He asked if Gemma had brothers or sisters. Mrs Granger began to chat freely and thanked the inspector for his comments regarding their house and grounds. Shock. As I was saying, Mrs Granger, you've had a shock. Yet you don't look like a person who's had a shock. Strange that, as you were the first person to find Grandad. His name, Inspector, is Stonefield. George Edward Stonefield. Quite so, Mrs Granger. Mr Stonefield. He was your father then. Was it expected, his death? Because you do seem to be taking it very calmly. Do you work, Mrs Granger? said Ridley. Yes, Mr Stonefield was my father. Yes, Mr Stonefield's death was expected, and yes, I do go out to work. I am the practice nurse at the Marshgate Medical Centre. Clean and tidy, your father. Able to look after himself, was he? Fastidious, Inspector. In his appearance and manner at all times. He employed a housekeeper, a gardener, and a maintenance man. I, of course, being his daughter, would attend to his personal needs. Smart dresser. Grand, even, 
I thought, when I saw him sat in that big chair of his. One thing struck me as odd, though, Mrs. Granger. Why would your father, our fastidious man, to use your word, leave his right shirt-sleeve cuff undone? Don't you think that's a little strange when the rest of his sartorial appearance was so... tidy, Mrs. Granger? I really could not comment, Inspector. Personal needs, Mrs. Granger. You said you attended to Mr. Stonefield's personal needs. What were these personal needs? I really cannot comment, Inspector. Come, come now, Mrs. Granger. You're not on trial here. You're not even under oath. Tompkins thinks that your father had a seizure, what with the untidy state of the table and the stain on the carpet. Young policeman, eh, Miss Granger? Straight to the obvious, minimise the paperwork. Home by five and out with the young lady friend by seven. Whereas mature coppers like me who have, how can I put this, less of a reason to rush home, see things differently. I like to take my time to look beyond the deceased octogenarian body presented to me. Mr Stonefield's health. Good, was it, Mrs G? As an employee of the medical practice my father attended, I cannot comment, Inspector. You will have to ask his doctor. Oh, I will, Mrs Granger. So will the coroner at the inquest, who will also have a report from the police doctor who is arriving at any moment. The police doctor will carry out an autopsy to back up his preliminary examination, but before he arrives, I should like to return to the cufflink. The undone cufflink. Tompkins came to a halt in the library doorway, balancing four mugs of hot tea in his hands. The sun's morning rays were now searing through the tall library window, pouring round the inspector and hitting Mrs Granger full in the face. Evans had become riveted to the spot and hadn't noticed Tompkins' hot mug balancing act. Then, Inspector Ridley paused and brought himself forward from the comfort of the carver chair. He looked Mrs Granger full in the face, locked his eyes onto hers and said slowly and softly, Mr Stonefield's tie was knotted and straight. His waistcoat was buttoned up, except the bottom button, of course. His trousers were secure, and he was wearing a fine pair of highly polished, laced and tied brogue shoes. So, why was Mr Stonefield's right shirt-sleeve cufflink unfastened? I must ask you again, Mrs Granger, what was the nature of these personal needs you performed for your father? And this time, I must insist you tell me, Mrs Granger. The room fell silent. How could the inspector be so cold and heartless to a woman who's just lost her father, thought Evans. Tompkins also thought that Char had gone too far this time. After all, wasn't Mrs Granger, the victim's daughter, also a victim in a way, Tompkins thought. Mrs Granger was caught, transfixed in the rays of the sun. Oh, Inspector, it is so unfair. Mrs Granger's eyes filled to the brim, then tears spilled out down over her cheeks. The two young officers simultaneously attempted to speak. Instinctively, Ridley put up his hand. The officers froze instantly. My father had been an honest and generous man to everyone he had encountered throughout his life. Why, then, should he have to suffer so at the end? She stopped and wiped her tears. Especially if, as a nurse... I could help ease his pain. Blimey, Inspector, you've cracked her. You deserve a medal. Tompkins' outburst 
heightened by the hot mugs he was carrying, shook the room. Yes, I have, Tompkins, said Ridley, his eyes still fixed on Mrs. Granger, who had sunk her head into her lap. But no medals, Tompkins. There's no satisfaction in cracking this type of crime. Ridley moved to sit beside Mrs. Granger. He beckoned to Evans to come forward. She did not move and stayed fixed to the spot. Policewoman Constable Evans, would you please escort Mrs. Granger to the station? She is ready to make a statement. Evans snapped into the action at the sound of the inspector saying her official title, like an angry parent calling a naughty child by its full name. I had the old boy down for heart attack. How did you know it was murder? said Tompkins, who now saw the other victim in a totally new light. I don't, Tompkins, said Ridley. It's not for us to say it's murder. That's for the police doctor. Our job is to seek out the truth. Mrs Granger, I should like you to go with WPC Evans. Look after her, lass. She's definitely had a shock. The inspector turned to Tompkins, took a mug of tea and gulped non-stop until it was empty. Oh, I needed that, said Ridley. All right then, boss, if you don't know it was murder... How do you know it wasn't heart attack, or a blood clot, or a massive stroke? Why do you keep on at Mrs. Granger like that? Now, Tompkins, look, listen, and learn, son. See that little pie-crust table? It's too close to the chair, said Ridley, as he walked Tompkins back to Mr. Stonefield's chair. Look three inches to the left. See the indents in the carpet? That's where it normally stands. I see it now, boss, now you've pointed it out. I couldn't see the marks before because of the pattern of the carpet, said Tompkins. You couldn't see the marks before because you weren't looking at the carpet. All you could see was an elderly gent flaked out in a chair. Therefore, he must have had a heart attack, Ridley said obtusely. But that table had been moved nearer to make it look like Mr Stonefield had knocked over the teacup, decanter and bottle. Bet the lads from SOCO find Mrs Granger's prints and not Grandad's on the cup. Then there's the shirt sleeve, Tompkins. Roll it back, as I did. The DC did as he was told and gingerly rolled up the sleeve. And what do you see, Tompkins? The evidence of regular, probably daily, medical injections. A personal need of Mr Stonefield performed by his loving daughter, Mrs Granger, the nurse. But why did you decide to roll up the sleeve and look at his arm? asked Tompkins. Because the first officer on the scene informed me he had been told by Mrs Granger that she was a nurse and that she had checked for signs of life, pulse, heartbeat, etc. and found none. Yeah, okay, but I still don't see what made you look at the old gent's arm. Why not check his neck? He could have been strangled. He could even have been suffocated with a pillow from behind and he struggled. Hence the mess on the table and the floor. Tompkins was showing definite signs of thinking on his feet. Good try, son. Very good try. But his dress showed no signs of a struggle. Very neat and tidy was Grandad. Except that one cufflink. And that made me suspicious. Just that one cufflink? How gov? That one undone cufflink and nurses, Tompkins. You see, son... Nurses, having given you an injection, always leave you to adjust your dress. They say, you can get dressed now. Whether it's pull up your trousers, do up your button or zip, or roll down your sleeve and do up your cuff. 
an act which Grandad, having received a fatal injection, was not capable to carry out. It's a nurse's habit to let the patient do it, Tompkins, what some might call a ritual. And we're all slaves to habits and rituals. Good night. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.